I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and as ever... I'm joining you from the Purple Patch Performance Center here in San Francisco. And this week, I'm going to let you have a little peek behind the coaching curtain. Just a little peek. You see, what I'm talking about this week is the secret weapons and characteristics of the pros. Now, some of these pros I have coached, others simply observed by what perhaps a somewhat observant coach. Most of these folks are from my home sport, triathlon, where a human performance nestled in the sport of triathlon. But we also occasionally dance further afield to sports and sports stars that you will probably know very, very well. So I ask you, who is the king of toughness? Who is the queen of managing adversity? Who had an almost mystical ability to focus on task even when stress and and distraction was absolutely amplified. Which of the purple patch pros could be labeled the king of lazy, all the while finding consistent, world-class performance? I reveal all in today's show and thought that by highlighting some of these secret weapons that have propelled some of the pros to be amongst the best in the world, it might just help you in your performance journey. All of that in today's show, but first, let's begin, as we always do, with a little squatty update. And it's a quickie this week on the squatty update. We're not going to talk about too, too much. There's a little call to arms, and the first thing is something that I'm talking about, and the whole Purple Patch team is talking about to all of the Purple Patch athletes, which is be patient. Keep being patient, really patient. We are driving into 2021 and so many are excited and salivating like Pavlov's dog, getting ready for some seriously hard work. We put out the goal, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal to drive forth and create great performance over the course of this year. And it's exciting. We're ready. We're committed. But we are still generally, most of us, in a phase of preparation. We are preparing the body for some very, very hard miles and yards ahead. And so our focus right now is skills and technique, gradual development of tissue resilience so that we can refrain and be able to absorb training in a great way and make sure that we can refrain from injury. We're focusing on a slow burn of cardiovascular conditioning. And we're not overtly chasing right now in this block of work big power, boosting threshold, massive resilience and endurance. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. But we've got to be patient right now. And so a reminder for you, the listener, as we're emerging into February and you're getting the itches to really drive hard, this is a long year of performance and your patience right now will pay off. Focus on doing things well, but don't chase, 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 chase the shiny stone right now. It is time for us all to be smart and stay consistent. 
One other thing on the squatty update, of course, a quickie for the Purple Patch athletes this week. They're getting primed for the mid-February roundtable with Alex Hutchinson, the unmissable guest of the last two weeks of shows. It was terrific. If you haven't listened to Alex Hutchinson and my discussion, we did two episodes last week and the week prior. I think it's it's fantastic content, really, really helpful, great broad perspective on everything performance. And as promised, you can get in on the action. You can join Alex in an intimate roundtable where you can ask any question you would like about anything related to performance. But you've got to be a Purple Patch athlete or Join in the fun with our education focus group, the Performance Academy, and you can get in a live attendance to that show. Of course, if you can't attend it, you can ask questions in advance and we will send the recording to you, but only if you're an athlete or a member of the Performance Academy. Details, purplepatchfitness.com, head to Performance Academy, or of course, reach out to us at info at purplepatchfitness.com and we are sure to help you. But now, Barry, Let's march on. I've got a lot to pontificate on today. So, mate, bring out the tunes. I want you to march on. We're going to do a check-in on your performance habits. And I know that you're trying to give up the midweek booze, mate. So keep going on that. But we want to talk to everyone about it. And that's why we need to strum. It's Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the wings. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary. Yes, thank you, Barry. Always like your introduction and your playing. It's always helpful. Fantastic. The word of the week this week, folks, is habits. Oh, we've talked a lot about habits, haven't we? But it's a good week to check in because at the start of the year, I asked you to take on a hack, a big, hairy, audacious goal, something that is pretty scary. It kind of makes you wonder whether you can do it. And that's because 2021 is the great year, in my opinion, to take a big bite out of the apple and go on a performance quest. And yes, while we're talking about it, I strongly believe that we will have events this year. And so it's coming. Let's do this. It's big. But with that, let's go back a little bit and think about around the holiday time into the new year. We talked about BHAGs. And we went through and said, it's really critical to drive in and go on the journey towards a goal. And ultimately, ultimately, we don't want it front of mind, but it doesn't really matter, truth be told, whether you achieve the BHAG. The key and the place that you're going to draw all of the lessons from, get all of the experience and the benefits to your health, your performance in life and everything is by going on the journey. Well, we are four weeks into that journey now. So this is a great time to have a check-in. Have you chosen something that is really able to be accomplished? Come up a level. How are you doing so far? Have a look at some of the areas that you've maybe strayed off course, that you've gone on, on track. Maybe you can add a component. But it's really important right now to use this time as we transition into the second month of the year to have a little pause. Come up and have a look at yourself. How are you doing? How are things going? How have your healthy habits that you're looking to implement been implemented? Have you failed? Have you struggled? Have you gone off course? Great. Let's recommit right now. Are you on track? Good. Don't be too greedy. Let's really cement them. 
Let me give you an example. We're having a lot of athletes going through a run project right now, really frequent, short and easy running. Great. If you're doing it and you're doing it well, you're probably getting this little driver on you. Oh, this is working well. I feel really good. Give me the juice. Give me more. Give me more. No, don't. Use this pause to come up and layer on another component, another three or four weeks of just staying consistent. Don't do more than you think you have to. Just stay really cemented. Because as you go into month two of this, the habit formation is going to really start to set. Like a clay pot, you've molded it, and now you're putting it in the oven. And so a little call in action, pause, reflect, and then recommit. Nail your habits. And we're going to go through that. Performance Academy members, hey, let's hop on Slack out of this one. I would love to know how it's going for you. Let's create a conversation on the Slack channel that we have open to Performance Academy members. I want to give you some help and support, as do the other Purple Patch coaches. So if you guys are struggling, straying off course, wondering whether you should add more, hit me up on the Slack channel and we'll go from there. Everyone else, keep on driving. Keep doing it. The word of the week, habits, good stuff. And now, spy-like, we're going to talk about weapons because it is the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes, a bit of fun this week, although I will say a bit of fun that's hopefully really valuable to you as you're going along your own performance journey. The pros, the elites, the greats, we can learn a tremendous amount from them. We don't need to emulate them to draw the lessons and apply them to our context of life. Over the last years of the podcast, I've spent a lot of time discussing traits and characteristics of high performers, both in business and life. And I've also had the gift and the opportunity to work with and help develop a wide range of these performers. Everyone who I'm going to discuss today, by definition, is successful. They have all achieved world-class performance in their chosen endeavors. Now, some of them I've coached, and so my observations today are, of course, based around this coaching relationship. And others have caught my eye because they seem to have a special trait or a couple of traits that I believe from the outside has been a catalyst to them achieving big success in their sports. And so today is really my coach's insight some of the special traits, skills, and elements of professional's performance that tends to shine amongst the efforts. It's the rocket fuel in their own performance journey. So this week, it is the pros' secret weapons, all according to me, my chance to pontificate. What more can you ask for? Now, this could go so many different places. And so, Instead of allowing it to become random, I like things to be structured and progressive, what I've done is categorized. I've called it, called, created a little order in my musings, as you might like to say it. And so we're going to go through five main categories today. 
The first I've titled The Art of Racing and Pacing. The second, The Thrills of Skills. Thirdly, Mindset, Focus, and Courage. Fourth, Handling Failure and Adversity. And finally, one that I entitled Athletic IQ. Go, you got to be smart for that one, geezer. So five elements and a couple of examples of athletes that I've coached or observed that I think really have these traits that is, as I mentioned, the rocket fuel behind their performance. And so each athlete, I'm going to highlight a couple. I'm going to tell a little story and then look, ultimately give you a little peek behind the curtain. And so without further ado, let's begin category one, the art of racing and pacing. And under this category, I begin with a legend in the sport of triathlon, and not an athlete that I coach, by the way, Craig Alexander. Craig is the three-time Hawaii Ironman world champion. He broke the course record in one of those efforts, the two-time 70.3 world champion, and a catalog of other racing results that would run out of this room if I scribbled it all wet down. Nickname, Crowy, as he is known. And I think it's important to realize that Crowy began his journey as a journeyman. He was moving to the US as a young athlete and he developed while being crammed into apartments, often with other athletes, ultimately kind of couch and mattress surfer. He was the boy from the serious school of art, Knox, as they would say in East London. But under the title of weaponry, what was it that made him great? Because yeah, sure, he was a wonderful athlete and he had a massive passion for the journey and a love of the sport. But I think that it was his race craft, his ability to absolutely nail pacing and racing and his skill at executing what was needed to win was the thing that really separated him. Now, I could have replaced Craig with someone like Chris McCormack, who was a formidable racer, but I went with Crowey under this because his race craft was the very thing that ultimately undid my coaching many times. I think in a single year, Craig beat Purple Patch Pro Chris Lieto under 10 seconds in two to three 70.3 races. Then at the end of the year, came from 14 minutes down off the bike at the Hawaii Ironman World Championship to be the only person who caught Chris finally winning and beating Chris by two minutes. He was just relentless, but it wasn't just his toughness or his physical attributes. It was his absolute ability to read a race and do what he needed to do to win. He would never give up, and he became a master of controlling what he could control and race within the boundaries of his physical performance. And I think that that becomes so important, that sort of back alley wisdom becomes so important, and the cap of this trait, the final sort of feather in the cap in a way, became his longevity. Because Craig Alexander managed to compete at the very highest level in the sport, well into his low to mid 40s. And so, in the art of pacing and racing, Craig Alexander, absolutely his secret weapon. I think my second athlete 
that fits under this category of pacing and racing is another male and another Aussie. Oh, the dirty Aussies. How do they sneak in there? But this is an athlete that I did coach, Tim Reed. And I'll say that Tim was a, a wonderful athlete to coach, despite at the start of the coaching relationships, and Henry him remind, reminded me several times throughout our coaching relationship that he claimed to be uncoachable. But uh, Tim went on to develop himself into Ironman 70.3 World Championships, and he won that race in Mooloolaba in Australia, very close to his hometown and where his family are based. And in the season run-up to that 2016 event, a well-trodden purple patch coaching phrase came about because I was trying to help Tim evolve his focus and his thinking. Something that you guys as listeners have heard before, nail the basics. The origin of that saying came out of the relationship with Tim. And the reason for it is that Tim had this habit, this trait of generally overcomplicating and potentially overthinking almost building complexity into the areas of performance that often just required simplicity. And I would probably argue as a coach, maybe my most important impact to his coaching journey was to really help Tim over those couple of years really boil complex to simple. And hence, that's why we came up with this phrase, nail the basics. In fact, the whole of that 2016 season was built around a focus of really simple and repeatable habits. And by memory, I think we only had seven things that we were focusing on for the whole of the year. Now, I'm going to spare you the story of race day because it's 20 minutes and it's a wonderful story. And at some other time, I'll tell you that. But I'll let you know that Tim won the world championships by two seconds in a sprint finish, beating another fabulous athlete and German favorite, Sebastian Keenley. And the way that that race unfolded on the day, many of the other top favorites were already well out of the picture by the time it came down to Mano a Mano, Sebastian versus Tim in the final kilometers of the run. And so I tell you all of that, but then you say to me, well, well okay, great, good on you, but what was his weapon? Well, let me tell you a story. After he'd won the World Championships, Tim did the tour, went on several podcasts, and on one of the shows, he was asked his race strategy. And his response, golden as it was, was that, well, my coach, Matt Dixon, told me to go out and have fun. And that sounds like a great race strategy for a World Championships, yeah? Go and have fun, mate. Good luck. But there was depth to that statement. There was real depth. There was actually consideration on what I had to tell Tim to do. And the truth was that going into that race, Tim was absolutely physically ready. He was, as I like to label, he was fit and fresh. And he was also clear of mind, following his nailing of the basics, and also together several weeks before the race, positioning this race not as a source of stress because it was taking place very near his hometown in Australia, but instead a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to race the World Championships in the backyard. Let's go and enjoy it and embrace it and allow it to lift rather than suppress. But Tim had, with that framing, 
he had a secret weapon. And he still has that. And that's that he has incredible, incredible race, craft, and instincts. He has the ability to read a race and make wonderful instinctual decisions on his strategy. And the truth was going into that race, I trusted him on that. So we had three, four, five scenarios that we thought might happen in the race. And we talked through those. But what we did know is that it would be beneficial to Tim if we had a very fast and tougher bike. And on that tougher bike, we wanted him near to or at the head of the field. And then what we also would benefit from is if coming off of that hard bike, the first early stages of the run were also very, very fast. And so that's what we looked to achieve and impress on the competition. Beyond that, it was go have fun because the quest was to respond and not react. And the one thing that Tim didn't need coaching, didn't need telling, was on his ability to read a race, to make smart decisions, to use his instincts. And so while that sort of coaching command or whatever you would want to call it, strategy would paralyze some athletes, instead it acted to liberate him. There was no talk of power or pace, no engineering. Remember, nail the basics. Instead, trust your instinct and your craft to make decisions. And on that day, with, I should point out, a little luck thrown in because there is always luck in these types of situations, but every single decision that he made was the right one. Every single decision. And that was a big part of how now Tim has earned the right for the rest of his life to say, I was a world champion. And there you have it. And so two great athletes whose weaponry, beyond being just physically talented, training really hard, tough, and all of the other prerequisites, but the thing that separated them, in my mind, observed and coached, is the craft of racing. Okay, so let's move to category number two. This is an interesting one, mindset, focus, and courage. So many traits that we've talked about, and mindset is really the driver of our pillars of performance. But the first athlete, when it comes to mindset and focus that I come up on, is Meredith Kessler. Meredith began the sport while working at RBC Capital. And her first race that she ever did, first triathlon that she did, no formal training, just a rusty old bike, was an Ironman. And in fact, when I began coaching Meredith many moons ago, she was the proud owner of the world's worst training program, an award that was gifted by me. But she quickly evolved and Meredith went on to become one of the most formidable athletes at both Ironman 70.3 or half Ironman distance and Ironman distance racing. And I think she will go down as one of the greats in the sport, known for her resilience and the big book of results that she got over such a long period of time. She was a strong swimmer. She developed into a great bike rider and had a strong and consistent run. And she was, without doubt, one of the toughest athletes I've ever met. 
resilience and grit should be added to her middle name. She was tough. Meredith had, what do they say, gumption. But what was her true secret weapon? What you might not know about Meredith is she had an unbelievable, unbelievable ability to focus in amongst noise, stress, and distraction. And in fact, and this is rare, the vast majority of Meredith's very best sporting performances arrived out of situations where she found herself under unusually more pressure and stress. And the funny thing is that ironically, and this was accidental, but she was offered an opportunity to go through some research, and it was some neural stress research in collaboration with Red Bull. And so we went through, and they were monitoring and measuring the athlete and other military folks' ability to focus as distraction and stress increased. And so Meredith went through the neural research, a couple of hours of stimulating tests and different games, and the results were nothing short of startling. Among 1,500 other professional athletes across all sports that you can mention, as well as military participants, Meredith was only matched by the lead instructor of the Navy SEALs in her ability to actually improve, not maintain, improve focus when under stress and distraction. There was no other athlete that was even close. Now, it doesn't take much of an imagination to think about the asset of being able to be in the special forces and stay focused on tasks in a war situation. But the truth is that the same applies for athletes. And look, there's a reason that we always talk about control the controllables, filter your focus, stay present. It all sounds good, but it ain't easy. And Meredith was the master. She was literally the master. Hence, I believe, her secret weapon, amongst all of her other traits as a great athlete, was the ability to focus under stress. Now, for the next example of this, boom, I'm going outside of triathlon. I'm going to talk about an athlete that the vast majority of you guys will be intimately familiar with because, well, I feel like this story is its an observed story, but it's a story that's too good to miss. I'm going to talk about footballing great Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. Soccer. Fair enough, Yankee Poodles, soccer great, Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano is simply one of the best ever. He is known for his relentless commitment to excellence. He practices more. He looks after himself. He leaves no stone unturned. He is great. And he has truly earned his greatness. And just like the vast majority of the highest performers in any endeavor in sport, it has been something that has been earned. It is not an easy journey to greatness. But seldom in sports do we witness an example 
where you can almost see a whole career, a whole journey encapsulated in a single minute or two. But a couple of years ago, I experienced that. And as a coach, I drew from it almost everything that I think, believe, make, makes Cristiano who he is. And it was in 2018, we're going to add the link to the show notes on this so that you can go and watch it. And it's the best link I can have. Watching it live was, was really incredible in the moment. You can go back and watch the whole uh, show, the whole game if you want. But it was the 2018 World Cup. And Portugal, where Cristiano is from and his fellow countrymen, were down to Spain, their big rivals. So Spain was leading and there was very little time left on the clock. They were down from a score 3-2 to two, or 3-2 to my English friends. Portugal dearly needed a draw. And there was a free kick about 25 yards from goal. And so really this whole game, whether they could get the tie, whether they could draw, whether they could even it up, it came down to almost this kick. This was the time. This was the chance. And it was clear there wouldn't be another one. There would be no other chances. So therefore, there was only one man to take it. You think about that. It's the World Cup, the biggest sporting event in the world. You've got your whole country's hopes pinned on you. It's a game against Spain. You're losing 3-2. There's a free kick from 25 yards from goal. What more could there be? Now, this was the moment, if we just go to here, this was the moment where I saw, through a coach's lens, a perfect example of filtering noise, of focus, of ultimate clear thinking and almost automation that occurred. And it was great TV work, it was very clear, but the TV cameras were on his face for more than a minute before the kick actually took place. And you saw, as he looked at the goal and he stood there in his Adonis type pose, I guess, that he actually actively went through a process of clearing his mind and prepared to do something that he had done many, many, many times. He placed the ball hard exactly where it needed to be. And he filtered the occasion, the anticipation, the country behind him. And what he visually did was moved to autopilot, he reduced the task to something that was very basic and that he was well-equipped to execute because he had gone through all of the process so many times in training. And that was a great example of a display of what it takes to be great. Practice repetition so much so that it becomes automation and then the focus within the noise to execute. So, yes, Cristiano Ronaldo is great, but his secret weapon, beyond his hard work ethic, beyond his love of the journey, beyond looking after himself, beyond actually being a teammate, was to be able to draw on the well-earned automation of the task when it really counts. And so it's no wonder that 
time and time again, this one example that I talk about, he has an uncanny ability to score really timely goals when it is needed. And that is what it takes to be a great soccer or football player. So that's category number two. We are doing well today, folks. I hope that I've still got you on the journey because category number three in the secret weaponry of pros is the thrills of skills. Yes, technical ability. Now, remember, each of these athletes that I talk about is wonderfully fit, wonderfully tough, smart. They are all successful. But one of the things that are maybe the outliers, where you have a characteristic and you say, oh, that's something a little different. That's a weapon. Well, this one is a swimmer, Kate Ledecky. You might have heard of Kate Ledecky. She's five-time Olympic gold medalist, and we would label a groundbreaking swimmer. There have been some wonderful swimmers. In fact, if we just draw on some of the U.S. swimmers, Dana Vollmer, Summer Sanders, Janet Evans, Natalie Coughlin, the list goes on. That's just the American ones. But for technical swimming in distance events, Kaylee Ledecky is something else. And in fact, I'd say it's, it's really hard, it's tough for you folks, the listeners, to emulate her technique, especially for adult-onset swimmers. But if we think about the most basic elements of swimming fast, you want to retain great posture, as in any sport. You want to be as streamlined as possible, long and thin, like a sailboat. You want to be able to hold great purchase on the water, so grip the water. And then you want to be able to rip that water back, grip it and rip it, as Luke Bell used to say, with great force while retaining alignment, posture, streamline, etc. And you have to rinse and repeat at a very fast rate for a long time. And technically, platform of fitness, platform of muscular endurance needed. Technically, there really is no better for distance swimming. This was and is something special. So to be great, sure, Katie has to have super passion, amazing grit and toughness, the ability to handle pressure, the joy of competition. But her weapon, and it's worth looking at underwater, is her baseline technical skill in distance swimming. It just simply hasn't been seen before in male or female athletes. It is incredibly good and a wonderful example. And I believe her weapon as one of the greats. Now, under this category as well, thrills and skills, I want to talk about an athlete that, once again, I had the wonderful opportunity to coach and someone that I've already mentioned in the show. But I can't go through the thrills of skills and not talk about the biking ability of Chris Lieto. So if you don't know Chris, he's a wonderful athlete. He could easily have made my list that we're talking about today in various categories. In fact, I sat and struggled on quite where to place him. But I fell on the thrills of skills and that category, and it's going to become clear why. But I will say before we get into it that it's worth noting that he showed incredible weaponry in his courage to evolve, to grow, to be so highly coachable and surround himself with a team of experts 
to help him foster his performance. And towards the end of his career, I think he showed real tremendous nous and courage to truly evolve almost every aspect of his triathlon performance. In fact, Chris had his very best years of world-class performance in the last two years of racing. He swam as well as he ever had. He biked faster, and he had by far and away his best run splits. And all of that was when he was edging towards 40 years of age. So he went from great to truly world-class, and he got within two minutes of being crowned that Ironman world champion. Yes, pesky Craig Alexander, as discussed earlier, he got in our way, didn't he? But Chris was a wonderful athlete, and he was best known for his bike performance. And so that is his secret weapon. But I want to point out the reason I wanted to put it into this part of the show is because it went so far beyond his ability to ride fast. And let me say it like this. There have been some tremendously strong bikers in the sport. Jürgen Zak, Lionel Sanders, Andrew Starkowitz, the list goes on. Chris was different. And if I exclude professional cyclists that have made the leap from professional cycling to triathlon, athletes such as Cam Worth, a certain Lance Watson, many, many more, I'll say this, we're excluding them. There was and has been no triathlon cyclist that was as pure of a cyclist as Chris. Chris was poetic. He was a pure rider, powerful, aerodynamic, resilient, but also a master of terrain management and the simple art of riding your bike. He is likely the only one, removing those that came from the sport, he's the only one that truly could have chosen professional cycling as a sport and made it in the pro tour. He was that good. Technically poetic, and the anchor, the base of his whole triathlon performance was built around. There have been few like him in this discipline of cycling. And so that is, under thrills of skills, someone that I have to present as pure weaponry, the pure cycling ability, and I would label the greatest cycling triathlete that there has been. Wow, heavy stuff, fun stuff. You better listen to that, Chris. Tip jar in the corner. All right, so we've got a couple more categories to go. The next category, handling failure and adversity. Oh, failure, here I go again. Yes, failure is essential. It's inevitable. It is a part of the journey of climbing towards greatness. You better get used to adversity and failure if you want to get to the top in anything. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to learn to love failure. Champions do not like to fail. They hate to fail. But they also equally realize that it's an essential part of the journey to greatness. And so as you listen to this, let me tell you that you can evolve in this area. And pro athletes can evolve in this area. But some just have become masters of navigating failure and adversity, so much so that I would label it as a weapon. And so let's begin this talking about Rachel Joyce, another ex-Purple Patch pro athlete. 
And I would label Rachel as one of the greatest athletes in the history of the sport who got so close to winning the world championships without actually finally getting that top spot. She was special. And an element of her enduring high performance, I would label, is her ability to perform well within the proverbial context of having her back against the wall. And I want to tell you an example of that. One of the examples that I can come up with was in the lead up to one of the year's Hawaii Ironman World Championships. She'd secured a top six finish the year prior. And in the year of the race, she had an accident in the spring. I think it was very early May. And that accident put her whole season in doubt. She was racing in Europe. She was doing very well. She came through transition out of the swim to the bike and she fell. And she fell on top of the chain ring. And it sounds very nasty because it was, it severed the tendons in her foot. It was an almighty gash and it was a serious lag and timeline of no training whatsoever. All it was was rehabilitation. And so her actual, even participation in that year's world championship was doubtful. She went about healing. And I'll never forget a conversation that we had in mid to late August and we were stood in my kitchen in San Francisco and she still hadn't taken a step running. We had about five weeks to go and we were just going to start running again. So she hadn't missed a little bit of running. She hadn't run since April back against the wall. Rachel started riding really strong, swimming strong and taking running steps gradually. And she arrived at that year's world championships in Kona fit, really resilient in the swim, a little bit of good riding under her belt and highly limited running, not just highly limited for the last six weeks, but for the last six months. And so what do you do in that scenario? Well, you reduce your expectations, yeah? Not at all. Instead, what you do is you remove expectations, especially if you have the weapon of performing in adversity. You see, no expectations are really, really different than low expectations. And no one could answer the question of how she could or would perform. And so Rachel just didn't try to predict it. Instead, and this is just one example of Rachel's secret weapon of allowing performance to flow within adversity, instead of giving up, she didn't let expectations fall. She didn't provide an excuse. She said, let's see. I'm going to give it a crack. Rachel finished fourth. Resilience and adaptability can lead to greatness. And by the way, if you want me to join the dots and you want to extend it into real life, well, Rachel is also one of the folks who's spearheading the Emerging Professional Triathletes Organization, a group that I would point out was completely dismissed, thought of as a little bit of a joke, maybe just a money play, and certainly just a flash in the pan. The same organization that now has a real opportunity to define the future and the development of this sport. And throughout all of these jokes and people that dismiss the PTO, Rachel was the one that stayed strong, full of belief, and drove it towards success. And here we are, 
and you tell me that sports traits of excellence don't extend into real life. Mm-mm-mm. All right, let's talk about Little Pooh, the ginger ninja, Sarah Piampiano, purple patch athlete, one of the toughest in the sport, one who made a world-class career through her drive commitment approach and what her relentless ability to navigate adversity, not through some genetic gift of excellence. That wasn't what her whole career was based on. I could outline so many traits of Sarah that we could define quite rightly on the show as her secret weapon. But the one thing that kept bubbling up for me as I thought about this was her ability to always, 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 quite simply, find opportunity within the struggle, adversity, or failure. Drop out of the world championships due to debilitating cramps? Oh, good. What can I learn from this? Embarrassed by some 25th place finish in a major race? How can I grow? So many examples where she always looked for opportunity. And perhaps the one that shines for Sarah the most was the experience that she had of breaking her femur. That's the upper part of your leg, not a good bone to break, I should point out, at an Ironman in Australia. Now, that type of injury is often 12, 18 months until you can expect a return to high performance. And I'll point out that that injury came at about the worst time you could possibly have on the trajectory of a career. Just as she was emerging towards world class, completely sidelined for 12 to 18 months. It was enough of an injury that I think many people right at that point would consider quitting. Therapy. Reaction, shit, okay, a year out. Couple of days of grieving, and then very quickly the transition. What can I do? How can I improve? This is gonna be tough, but it's time to find the opportunity. And so she focused on four things, rebuilding the body through technical improvement, developing resilience through an absolute obsession and recommitment on strength and mobility, a focus on her weakness and the one thing that she could do after about six to eight weeks, which is to do some swimming. And then finally, outside of it, but actually develop the other part of her career because she's a professional triathlete. Develop her brand, grow her audience, produce value for her sponsors that were supporting her through this, even though she couldn't participate and compete. Yes, she just got busy working her ass off on the controllables, the things she could do, and not paying any mind to the things that she couldn't that were out of her control. The return, well, a couple of races to find her legs, bit of a struggle, pardon the pun, and then a breakthrough, seventh at the Hawaii Ironman, and on from then an explosion of a magical last few years of her professional career. In fact, I would argue that that adversity, the greatest adversity that you could face, the removal of your career for 12 to 18 months, became the catalyst to kick her performance to a whole new level. Opportunity and adversity, her secret weapon. All right. Now, it's a time here for me to grab a little drink, have a sip, we have held hands together. We've gone all this way. I've talked about some of the greats, and I have even managed to not bring up Jesse Thomas in all of this. 
And I know that he's going to be highly frustrated that I didn't include him. And I'm sure that he still sits at the other end of this show just waiting for my validation. I'm still daddy, Jesse. But we do have one more category to go. That last category, athletic IQ. What do I mean by athletic IQ? Well, it's a coin that's turned by a good mate of mine, Jerry Rodriguez of Tower 26. And I loved it so much that I thought I would steal it. And so the way that I would define athletic IQ is an athlete who carries great learned or innate wisdom of approach into sport. And I think it's expressed as a self-confidence of decision-making, a high awareness of the bigger picture, the ability to make decisions within the context of all of the elements and much, much more. And these athletes tend to be great racers, really good at building consistency, are pretty pragmatic and certainly less influenced by the actions, words, or work of other athletes in their competition. They tend to be grounded in what they need to do to enable themselves to be successful. They're great at reading races. They're able to make smart decisions. Sounds attractive, doesn't it? They are students of the sport and of themselves so that they can develop in the areas that they need to and become the best that they can be. Now these athletes, they tend to flourish because of their autonomy and their empowerment. They tend to flourish with coaches who are more on the collaborative side that really encourage dialogue that can provide a little bit of ownership to the athletes so that they can become empowered. And they would equally react really, really poorly to dictatorial environments where they're locked in a cage and stuck in a system where they just do what the coaching asks. And so if you're, by the way, looking for a coach and you look at yourself honestly and think, okay, I've got pretty good IQ. I like to think about things. I like to have a little bit of autonomy and ownership. If you're going out and seeking coaching, it's important that you understand that about yourself and you don't look for a dictator because it ain't going to work. But anyway, if you have this trait, a strong athletic IQ, without doubt, it is a secret weapon, maybe the secret weapon to endure and performance. So who, who has it? Well, uh, hang on, I just got to find my notes. Uh, here, oh, here it is. Who is it? Uh, athlete number one is, uh, oh dear. Uh, okay. Um, okay. I'm going to have to go with Yes, it's that freaking Jesse Thomas. Oh, I thought I was going to escape this show without bringing him up in any favorable way at all. But he sneaks into my brain, into my mind, into my life. I coached Jesse Thomas from amateur throughout his pro career. And through that journey, he was juggling being CEO of his energy food company, and as well as community at Picky Bars. His wife, Lauren Fleshman, who's wonderful, you should absolutely follow her. She has some great things to say across all aspects of performance. She's also a great writer and a really good coach, I should point out. But Lauren, through the early part of Jess's career, was on her own journey driving towards excellent in world-class running, and now, as I mentioned, coaching. And on top of it, throughout the professional journey, Lauren and Jesse had two wonderful children. And of course, that can add a little bit of complexity. And so throughout his pro career that lasted about 10 years, pragmatism was needed, big picture thinking 
was required. And Jesse carried a secret weapon. Some of you guys will know Jesse, will follow Jesse, listen to him. And yes, he's a magnetic guy. But one of the things as a coach that was unbelievable was his self-awareness and athletic IQ. He had an innate ability to thread the needle of performance. What it would take to excel for him, how to adjust his training to align with the really chaotic stresses of life, the ability and understanding of the value of him going out and running at 8.30 pace in many of his runs, despite his race pace being closer to five-minute pace. He is physically gifted. He's got the lungs of an elephant. But his secret weapon was absolutely his athletic IQ. And it was a serious weapon. And I struggle to think of another athlete that was at that level. But I will give you another example because it's someone else that might catch you by surprise, particularly if you know him. Another great athletic IQ is Sam Appleton. So Sam is an incredibly laid-back Aussie pro triathlete, a big part of the Purple Patch family, and a startling ability to achieve incredibly high consistency at the world-class level, particularly when it counts. Sam shows up when it counts. Consistently at the top end of the field at world championships, he was just recently sixth place and a huge protagonist at the major PTO Daytona Challenge. Sam arrives. And yes, he is talented, but I would label his secret weapon similar to Jesse in many ways. And expressed differently, but very similar is his athletic IQ. And here are some of the components with Sam. He has an incredible courage to step back and truly recover. Truly recover. He is great at being lazy in a really positive way. He carries very little concern or worry about what any of his other competitors are doing. And we all know it's really easy to get busy doing your training and you just look over the fence and think, oh, that's good. He's doing a lot. She's doing a lot. Goodness me, those look like tough intervals. Am I doing enough? Should I be doing more? But Sam has a great confidence and IQ to actually say, this is what I need to do to help my body perform and be ready at this time. And so those two things are synergistic, having the courage to actually truly recover mentally and physically, but also then when he is doing the work to just focus on the stuff that is going to provide a performance yield for him. And so I think that that is really critical. He's also open, very similar to Rachel Joyce, as mentioned earlier, he's very open to allow his body to provide the answers rather than letting his mind get in the way. And what I mean by that is when he has gone through adversity into the lead up, and he had adversity in last year's lead up to the 70.3 World Championships, two weeks out, he might be nervous, but he just says, okay, I've got to go race and I will see what happens. And quite often when you do that, assuming that you have achieved consistency and you have a backlog of really good habits and approach, the body can give you more than you think it might have. Remember, no expectations is not the same as low expectations. And one thing, particularly if you know Sam, that might surprise you because he's got a really laid back demeanor, but here's a secret. He is always thinking. He's always observing. He's always reviewing. 
And for all of these reasons, he doesn't overly rely on my validation as a coach. And at the same time, he has the courage to lean in when needed, when he needs perspective. And that creates quite a good synergy. And so you might look from the outside and say, ah, oh, Sam's easygoing, etc. And many people are startled by how much Sam is willing to check out and go play. Many couldn't believe that this summer, throughout all of the months, he was out there with no power meter, just gravel biking. He wasn't on the TT bike once. In fact, it was just gathering dust. But beneath this exterior and the shell is an assassin. And it's an athlete whose athletic IQ is one that appreciates that that rest will enable him to be mentally and physically equipped to absorb the hard work that's coming in two months from now. So making decisions with an IQ to realize these are important decisions now to back off and go and play so that in two months when it really is important, I'm ready to go. And he also has the understanding that those gravel rides were providing him with something different that would translate to work on the TT bike when it was really important. And so the driver for me as his coach of how he gets performance at the high level so consistently is an approach that so many can learn from. And so folks, that is the areas of weaponry today, those little extra pieces that make some of the greats just that little bit greater. The art of racing and pacing, the thrills of skills, mindset, focus, and courage. Handling, failure, and adversity, and finally, I don't know how he got in the back door, Jesse Thomas got in, but the athletic IQ. As you can see, performance emerges from more than the physical gifts, from more than hard work, from beyond toughness. And on top of that, as you can likely imagine, I've got a bit of guilt in today's show because I didn't have space to talk about every athlete. And had so many examples who I believe had great secret weapons, big drivers behind their success. Maybe we'll do a part two to this in a few weeks' time that we come back to this subject to give you more context. But the one thing that I did do for you is a little cheat sheet. Some other athletes who sparked my eye, athletes that maybe carry an X factor that helped them shine, that have their weapons. And these come from across sports. What are my thoughts on Lionel Sanders? What are my thoughts on Serena Williams, Wayne Gretzky, Paul and Newby Fraser, Chris McCormack, yes, Macca, some other athletes like that. I created a little cheat sheet with some of my thoughts and I wanted to share it with you. And so if you want to get on the journey, you want to read about some other thoughts that I have, just go and download it. We didn't have time to put them into the show today, but head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash weapons. That's W-E-A-P-O-N-S for my brother who's not good at spelling. And you can download my little insiders to offer some of my observations and perspectives as a coach. And so with that, folks, I hope you enjoyed. Perhaps you were inspired. You were ready to get working on your own weaponry to performance. Until next week, take care. Remember purplepatchfitness.com forward slash weapons and reach out if you ever need anything. Cheers.
Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!